Welcome back today as we begin this sermon. I know that God has a great message in your heart. As you open your Bibles, I pray the Lord will speak to you, and this sermon will help change your life. I want to speak to you today on what it means to be resolved, to have resolve in your life. Um, what is that resolve like? What A, a resolved life. Uh, man, the definition of resolve is simply a, a firm in purpose or intent. I want you to write that down. Firm in purpose or intent or determined. I want to speak to you a little differently today. I could, I could tell you things, but instead I want to ask you a couple of things. I want you to write these questions down in, on your handout or in your Bible somewhere. I want you to write this definition of resolve down. I want you to look at it. Firm in purpose. What are you firm? What is the purpose that you're firm in today? What is it that you're most intent about? What is it that you're determined the most about? How are you determined? What are you determined to be the most successful at? What are the things that you, you have the greatest resolve in? What does a resolved life look like? A re, uh, what does a life look like that is firm in purpose? Maybe write that down. What does a resolved life look like? What does a life that's firm in a purpose look like? What does a life that is determined look like? Matter of fact, a determined life is normally a successful life. Because determined people, when knocked down, get back up. People who live without determination, when they're knocked down, they stay down. When they doubt, doubt overwhelms them. You know... Doubting is not a sin. So, oh, preacher, what do you mean? That's, I've been taught that my whole life. Some of the things that God calls us to is so great that if you didn't doubt it, you'd be lying. And to doubt is not a sin. To live in doubt is a sin. To live with the spirit of doubt hovering over your life day in, day out to second-guess it, to struggle with the Lord, to have a hard time with the Lord, with something God's called you to, to be doubtful, like, God, man, you really calling me to this? Man, that's not the sin. The sin is that you say, I can't do it, I'm so overwhelmed, I doubt this, and then you live there the rest of your life. Which of you, by doubting or worrying, you know, can add one statue one inch to your statue, the Bible teaches. But the important thing is this, not that you second-guess it, but that you don't live a life of second-guessing. That you don't allow doubting to become the norm, that you pitch a tent and camp out at the, at the forest of doubt. But that you look at doubt in the eye and say, I may doubt it in my flesh, but in my spirit I know better. And therefore, I don't walk by the flesh, but I walk by the spirit. I don't live a life of undetermination, but I live a life of determination. I don't live a life without a purpose, but I live a life with a purpose. I do not live a life with no resolve. I live a life with resolve that will change my life. 
People who have resolve get things done. People who have resolve don't overwhelm you with the details of defeat. They don't overwhelm you with the details of setbacks. But they tell you about what's coming. It may not be there, but they live with a firm commitment and a purpose that God has created them for something, and they stretch forward and strive after it. What does that look like? Do you live a resolved life? What is it that you're resolved to do? What is it that you're resolved to be? I hope and I pray as your pastor, I hope that your resolve is to be nothing less, not one inch less than what God created you to be. Because that's where peace and contentment is. That's where joy is. In being who God created us to be. God did not create everybody to be preachers, thank God. God may have created you to be an educator. God, no matter what God created you to be, be it to the full intent that God created you to be that. Because right where you are, you can touch lives and change lives that preachers can never change. Man, every day, many of you get to walk into businesses and walk into plants and walk into classrooms and be the light shining in the darkness that a preacher could never go, that a missionary could never go. But every day, God has given you the gift of life and you get the joy and the privilege of being able to put your feet down and be a resolved follower of Christ. If we serve such a victorious, conquering hero then why do we have such mediocrity of believers? Why has Christianity lost its power in our country? Why have we come to a place where, where we live a life of, you know, I believe a lot of people would, would want to, to follow, would want to obey, would want to go to that next level if they could just see something happen. How many people say, well, if I could just see something. I, I, I look at the life of a lot of believers and I think, man, what is, where is the difference? Where is the difference from a person who's a born-again, professed believer and the person who's just a good person? Where is the difference? Where is the, the line? Where is the, where's the differentiating part? What are you resolved to be? I hope it's nothing less than what God's created you to be. This passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians 57 says, But there thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Christ Jesus. We looked at that last week that our victory doesn't come from ourselves. Our victory doesn't come from our education. Our victory doesn't, it's not inherited from our forefathers. Our, our victory does not come through our wealth, but our victory comes through our conquering hero, Jesus Christ who conquered death, hell, and the grave. And Paul expounded on that with great detail in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But he says, Therefore, thanks be to God who gives us our victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. But look at what it says in verse 58. Therefore, therefore, because you have victory through your conquering hero, my dear brothers, I love what that actual phrase for that means in the Greek it means my my little darlings he says therefore my little darlings in Christ my children in Christ 
Because you have victory through Christ Jesus, be steadfast. Because you have victory through Christ Jesus, be immovable. Because you have victory through Christ Jesus, always be excelling in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Every time you strum an instrument, every time you pick up a piece of paper on the ground of the church, every time you drive a van, every time you teach a class, every time you walk across the street to knock on the door and, and tell your neighbor how much the Lord loves them, every time you do all of those things, the repetitiveness of that is that it's not in vain. You may not see the fruit, you may not see the harvest, but it's not in vain. We are sowing seeds, we're doing the work of the ministry. So I want to ask you a couple of questions this morning. What does a resolved life look like? Are we steadfast in our love for Him? Therefore, what are we conquering? We have a conquering hero, Jesus Christ. Therefore, are we steadfast? The first thing you've got to be steadfast in is your love for Him. Now, there's no doubting His love for us. Man, almost choked up a while ago when we were singing that last song, and it says, You stood before my failures. I mean, I don't know, but for the first time this morning, that, that line grabbed my heart. Because I thought about all my failures, I thought about all of my sins, I thought about everything that was bad that I ever had done in my life, Christ stood before my failures, not before my righteousness, not before my good works, but before my failures, before my open, known sin. He stood before them. He looked upon them. He stood before my failures and said, I love you. I love you. He didn't love me because I could clean up well. He didn't love me because I could speak well. He didn't love me because I had done good things. He loved me when I was failing. Anybody will love you when things are going good. Anybody will love you when things are popular. But Christ doesn't just love you when you're on top of the mountain. Christ doesn't just love you when you clean up well. Christ doesn't just love you when you're witnessing. Christ doesn't love you when you're reading the Bible all the time. Christ loves you in your failures, in your greatest disappointments, in your greatest struggles, with your greatest addiction. Christ stands before them and he says, I don't care how great the struggle is. I I don't care how great the strife may be. I stand before your failures and I am the Messiah and I am steadfast in my love for you. Are you steadfast in your love for me? I wonder what would happen in our church boy, if we would just be overwhelmed in a steadfast love for him. For God so loved the world he gave. Love gives, doesn't it? Love gives. How many of you will admit to this that the greater joy is not always receiving, but it's giving? Why do you give? Because you love. If you don't love, you don't give. Because God loved us, He gave His Son. He gave His Son, and what does a steadfast love look like? Well, steadfast love uh, looks like uh, it looks like you love him. That people are not shocked to find out you're a believer. That people are not shocked to find out that you're a Christian. 
If people are shocked that you're a believer one day and they find out, that's a pretty good sign your love for him not very steadfast. Because you don't have to say you love him. You need to, our life should show it. I remember back when I was a boy, there was a country music song that came out, and I don't remember the whole details of it, but it says, I love yous are cheap. So unless you mean them, don't spend them on me. Anybody can say I love you. Love is not known in the voicing of it, but in the showing of it. What does a steadfast love look like? He demonstrated his love. I love what the Bible says. That's what it says. But God demonstrated his love towards us in Romans that while we were in our failures, while we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. In Romans chapter 5, write it down, look it up later. While we were in a steadfast, failing state, God demonstrated. He demonstrated His steadfast love for us, that in our failures, He died for us. Today, I wonder, what does a steadfast love look like? What does that demonstration look like? Well, it looks differently for every person. Because we're all wired differently, thank God. We all live differently. We all have different things that motivate us. We all have different love languages. Some is a physical touch. Some is a verbal communication. And we could go on and on. And the love languages that a person has, and they're all different. But how do you show that love? How do you show that love? What does a steadfast love look like? A life of commitment, number one. The steadfast lover never wonders where their spouse is. The steadfast lover never wonders when the wife goes off or the husband goes off for a weekend uh, job or, or goes off to, to see somebody whether or not they're going to come back faithful. A steadfast lover, that love that's unfailing, that steadfast love between two lovers, they never wonder what the other one's doing because there is a steadfastness in the love that we have towards one another. And today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, what does that steadfast love look like in your life? I know what it looks like in his life. He demonstrated it. He died publicly for us. He was beaten publicly for us. What are you resolved to be? Not only are you steadfast in your love for him, look at that next word, or be immovable. Be, be stand fast. That, that song we sang, I stand in awe of the one who gave his life for us. I'll stand with my arms high and heart abandoned to the one who gave it all for me. What does it mean to be immovable? It's that you're anchored. You're anchored off. It means that you don't take a pole to find out what you believe. It means that you don't allow the changing theory of man to undermine the principles of the Word of God. It means that you understand that though we live in, change, we live in changing times, though we live in an evolving culture, we live 
with an unevolving Savior. The Bible says He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Therefore, if we are going to amount to anything, if we are going to make a difference for the glory of God, then we must be immovable. We must not change our position. We must be steadfast. We must be anchored to the rock. And we must know that it doesn't matter what's going on in the world. The world doesn't change what we believe because our belief system is not based on the world. Our belief system is based on what God said. And what God said we choose to obey. That we don't just obey the part that fits the culture. We live in a changing culture. A changing culture. For many years, people have tried to reconcile racism to be biblical. And after decades of doing that, there's no biblical principle for them to stand on. I remember the first time, the first time I ever had somebody come to me, and it was a mother that was really upset because her daughter was dating an African-American guy, and, and boy, she was upset, and she wanted me to pray with her and give her some biblical counsel. And so I did. So I went to the Word of God, and I said, here's a scripture right here. Moses, Moses hooked up with a black lady, and Miriam got mad and threw a temper tantrum. God struck her with leprosy and put her outside the camp. I said, there's your scripture. Well, she didn't like that scripture. No, no, pastor, give me another scripture. Well, you know, you know, what about this scripture right here with, with Solomon? Solomon intermarried, and boy, that messed him up. Well, Solomon intermarried with people who were unbelievers. People who were unbelievers. They didn't believe, and the, the, the color of their skin did not turn Solomon's heart from God. It was the principle of their faith that turned their heart from God. Now, boy, this just really irritates people. Because we want a biblical principle to establish what we believe. We want to be able to put our finger on it and say, that's what God said. That was a culture that we battled and those things. Today, it's the issue of homosexuality. It's the issue that... You know, the world says now that God created you that way. and I mean, that if God made a mistake when he created me, then I can get a doctor to change my, what I, he, change my sexual orientation. Because God made a mistake. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I've, I, I've read the book cover to cover, and I've just never really found a mistake God made. And so we want to change our whole belief system to accommodate the trend of the world that we live in today. My friends, I want you to understand that God is looking for a man. God is looking for a woman not to be intolerant, not to be insensitive, but God is looking for somebody to say, you know what? You don't have to wonder what I believe. You don't have to wonder what I believe on the Word of God because it hadn't changed. I believed it that way yesterday. I believe it this way today. And I will believe it that way tomorrow because the Word of God has not changed from yesterday. It's not changed today. And it will not change tomorrow. 
tomorrow. God is looking for a man. God is looking for a woman that will stand up and be steadfast in their love for him. That the world won't have to wonder. I wonder if that person's a Christian. God's looking for somebody who will stand up and say, I wonder what that person believes. I remember one time this guy came into my office and he wanted some counsel. And then I listened to him for a while. And he finally was quiet. And I said, well, if you want to know what I, if you're asking me what I think. And he looked at me and said, oh no, I don't want to know what you think. I already know what you think. I said, well, what are you doing here? Well, I wanted you to hear me. Well, go pay yourself a counselor. That's what they get paid for. To pay them to listen. I mean, trust me, I've seen my salary. I, though I may counsel people, I don't make counselors pay. I mean, if you just want somebody to listen and not give it. But it's the greatest compliment one could have ever paid me. He said, oh no, I already know what you believe. I already know what you believe. You know, when, when you take a stand, for a principle on the word of God. You need to understand that it, you know, if you go to somebody who's living a life of, of, of an addiction. Or living a life of bondage of some sin. You don't have to go back to them every time you see them. And say now boy you either need to get that right. Or God's going to judge you or this and that. And You don't have to send them a new scripture every day. You know what you have to do? Take a stand one time and then give it to God. You don't have to reclaim your position. That people know the position you stand on. What happens is that we want to be the Holy Spirit. And we want to be the one to speak the word to them. So every time we see them, we, we tell them, well, here's what God says. Here's what God says. Here's what God says. You try to reestablish your case every time. God's just looking for somebody that will stand up and say, here's where God stands. Here's where I stand. And then give it to God and pray like you've never prayed before after that. I mean, come on, God works a night shift. He can keep them up all night. I mean, they'll be looking for sleeping medicine. When many times all they need to do is get right. Because God keeps them awake because they're heart trouble. I mean, trust me. It don't have to be an open sin. God could just be speaking to you about doing something. And if you won't do it, God gets you up in the middle of the night. I can't tell you how many times he wakes me up. And I'm like, okay, Lord, you know, you might as well start praying. You might as well start getting it right because you ain't going back to sleep. And if you do, you won't sleep well because God loves you. God speaks to you. You say, why didn't he do it in the daytime? Well, sometimes he's got to let you settle down. Sometimes that's the only time he can. That's sometimes that's the only time you can hear his voice in the pitch dark. When the television's not on, the radio's not blaring, your phone's not going off. You're not Facebooking, tweeting, or Instagramming. You're just there in the stillness of the night. God's wanting to come to you. God's wanting to speak to you. God's wanting to move in your heart. God's wanting to move in your life. You might as well go ahead and get it right because he's going to be back the next night too because he works the night shift, the day shift, the morning shift, the swing shift, the graveyard shift. He works it all. He doesn't need a messenger boy to speak to you. He's speaking to you. I remember the first time I remember the first time I really God spoke to me clearly about this. Uh, God was leading me to start a ministry for pastors and uh uh, boy, not to know that I would be the one who needed it in the future. And I said, boy, I, I was on a board of directors for this guy and his ministry. And I said, I'm going to talk to Randall about him t 
taking on this ministry. And boy, I never remember. In the middle of the night, God woke me up and he said, Son, if I wanted Randall to do it, I'd have told him. Now I want you to do it. He said, He spoke to you audibly like that. No, it was much louder. Amen. God's speaking to some of us about just taking a stand. A stand in what we believe. Not to be intolerant, not to be a, a, a bigot, not to be insensitive, but to be a faithful, compassionate man of God. I was talking to Chris this week about one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, Micaiah. King Ahab and Jehoshaphat was going to go to battle, and wanted, King Ahab wanted Jehoshaphat to go with him. He said, okay, I'll go with you, but let's consult the Lord. And so they brought in like 400 men of God to come in. And there was this big spectacle. And, and one of them, I love this, one of them had a, a horns of an oxen, and he was running around, and he was like goring people, with like putting like he was going to gore them. And he said, this is what you're going to do to the people you're going to take over. You're going to gore them. And man, Jehoshaphat's sitting there, and I love I, I loved Jehoshaphat. I mean, he looks at this big spectacle of religion, and he sits there, and he looks at Ahab, and he says, I ask you for a man of God. Is there not one man of God left in this country? He said, yeah, there is, but he never says anything good about me. He says, go get him. Went and brought Micaiah in the presence of him. He said, if you go to war, you'll not come back. You'll not come back. And Ahab got mad, threw that man of God in the prison, gave him water and bread to eat. And on the way out, Micaiah said, if I'm a man of God, then you won't be back. If I'm not, then I basically deserve to be in that prison. King Ahab knew he was always right, so he was going to outfox Micaiah. So he went and put on this disguise. And he disguised himself, not as the king in the battle. And he goes out there on the battlefield. And I love what the King James says right here. It says, a certain man drew a bow adventure. Just randomly. He, he drew a bow back and he went to fire it. And I guess the target moved, so he just... Fired it up in the air, adventure, just at random. He, he fired it. And that era was divinely guided by uh, the, the, the um, super technology of a holy God. And it went to the man who was disguised in battle, who was hiding in someone else's garments, in someone else's chariot, and that random bow adventure that fired that arrow in the, in the air went and it lodged itself between the shoulders of Ahab and he said take me out of the battle I'm wounded God's looking for a man and a woman who will just stand up and, and speak the truth when it's popular and everybody wants to hear it but speak the truth when it's not popular God's looking for somebody to get beyond this easy believism, live however you want to as a Christian, and stand up, be accounted for, be a man and woman, a believer of Christ with integrity, that you die to your flesh every day and you walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill that lust of the flesh. God's looking for somebody to find a buzz on the Holy Spirit and not looking for a buzz in a bottle that they may be a victorious, faithful warrior for Jesus Christ. Man, I'm out of time, and i got one more question to ask you. What does your steadfast love look like? Are you immovable in your faith, but then are you abounding in your work 
for him. As we wrap up this sermon today, if there is any way that we can help you at Family of Grace make a difference in your life, please give us that honor. Write to us, email us, call us, show up, make a difference. We want to be part of what God is doing. Thank you for joining us today. We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor that made this program possible. Bayou Shirts. At Bayou Shirts, we offer quick, friendly, quality service for all your t-shirt needs. Check us out today at BayouShirts.com for information on all the services we can provide.